Go. Uh, What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Fantasy Podcast. My name is Tyler. I'm Mary. I'm Aaron. I'm Kylie. Kylie was about to go, then he realized he was out of place. She's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> uh, this is a creative focus. It's a show we do where we pull a random comic creator's name out of a bucket. We talk about their career and some books they've worked on. And at the end of this show, we'll pull out the uh, next creator's name for next uh, month's <laughs> creative <episode. laughs> Mary, what? do you remember who we're talking about? Come on, Mary. Dennis O'Neill. Denny O'Neill. Denny O'Neill. Dennis O'Neill. Unless I like read Dennis. the wrong person. It looks like Dennis, but it's Denny O'Neill. It's but Danny. Wait. No? Wait. <laughs> Did I read the wrong person? Wait. No, it's, no, it's Danny. spelled Dennis, uh-huh. but it's read Denny O'Neill. Is it really That's Denny? Weird. Like Denny. Denny O'Neill is how, is how it's pronounced. Yeah. 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 But it's spelled Dennis. Yeah. And then you Son spelled O'Neill like O N E A L E or something like that. And it was like, but on Comixology, it was O N. It was the normal spelling it's of O'Neill. O N E I L. Anytime yeah. they yeah. put an yeah. S. I, when, I think when you put it on our agenda, I was like, that is not how you spell it. Yeah. yeah. It confused me. So, <laughs> so I was like, it I is think really, is his first. name is spelled. <laughs> D N N I S. Yes, but it's yep. D E N N Y. But oh his, no, that's Denny. Yeah, that would be Denny. Why but, did you say it has anything? Because his it? his okay. His nickname. Oh, son of a bitch! Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. We're all on the same page now. Yeah, okay. it's all yep, coming it was this together. Page right here that I showed her. <laughs> it's all page. coming together, guys. Twas the page. Look, he's pulling up his phone. All right. Denny O'Neill. Um, Dennis. Broncos. Who we recently lost, unfortunately. Aww. Dennis the menace. Son of a... No. Oh, Dennis was funny. quite a menace back in the day. Yes, he was. But... Uh, Denny O'Neill. Denny Joseph O'Neill, actually. That's a nice middle name. Born May 3rd, 1939. DJ O'Neill. Yeah, that's a guy. And uh, passed away June 11th, 2020. 2020 uh. took another one. Damn it, 2020. Uh, I know. God damn it. Bastard. He was born in St. Louis, Missouri, and died Mm. in New York City. Oh. Mm. Um, I don't know why that was so, like, rough, right? Like, we're like, like, oh. oh, Missouri? Oh. Oh. Uh, Notable works include (laughs) Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, The Question, Iron Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, along with other things. Good on him, because he went past DC to Marvel, and he went, yeah, like, good on him. He won a Shazam Award in 1970 and 1971. I think he's most, he's more known for his DC stuff. I think so. But a Shazam Award, huh? Who has Shazam's awards? He does, he's got two I wonder if that's, that's gotta be DC only, right? Shazam what? What the hell? Was that a Shazam? A dog. Um, Denny O'Neill was born into an Irish Catholic household in St. Louis, Missouri in 1939. Sunday afternoons, he would accompany his father or his grandfather to the store for some light groceries and an occasional comic book. O'Neill graduated from St. Louis University around the turn of the 1960s with a degree centered on English, English literature creative writing and philosophy from there he joined the u.s navy just in time to participate in the blockade of cuba during the cuban missile crisis mm. that's that's got to change your perspective <laughs> i mean a little bit right right like, time wise after leaving the navy o'neill moved to a job with a newspaper in cape uh god i'm gonna butcher this cape Girardeau, missouri say it again it's g-i-r-a-r-d-e-a-u 
Yeah. Not even going to try that one. No, I um, mean, I think derba, you... Derba, derba. <laughs> derba, O'Neill wrote bi-weekly columns for the youth page, and during the slow summer months, he filled the space with a series of revival of the comics industry. This attached the attention of Roy Thomas, who would eventually himself become one of the great names in the history of the medium. Uh, when Roy Thomas left DC to work for Stanley at Marvel, he suggested that Denny O'Neill take the Marvel writer's test, which involved adding dialogue to a wordless four-page excerpt of a Fantastic Four comic, which is the Marvel method, famously, right? Um, O'Neill's entry resulted in Lee offering Denny O'Neill a job. He never considered writing for comics and later said he'd done the test as kind of a joke. I had a couple of hours on a Tuesday afternoon, so instead of doing crossword puzzles, I did the writer's test instead. Damn. When Marvel's expansion made it possible for Stan Lee to continue writing the company's entire line of books, Lee passed as much on to Roy Thomas as he could, but still needed writers, so O'Neill took the reins for a short-term run on Doctor Strange um, and Strange Tales, penning six issues. He also wrote dialogue for such titles as Rawhide Kid and Millie the Model. Oh, good old Millie. As well as scripting the final 13 pages of Daredevil number 18. (coughs) Uh, while Stanley went on a vacation, O'Neill and artist Neil Adams revived Professor X and characters in X Men number sixty-five and one of the creative team's earliest collaborations. Then they went to Charlton Comics. The available jobs writing for Marvel uh, petered out fairly quickly, and O'Neill took a job with Charlton Comics under the pseudonym of Sergius Oshagasi. What? There oh, he- <laughs> oh, Sergius Oshagasi. <laughs> There he received a regular work for a year and a half from Charlton's editor, Dick Giordano. That's where he wrote uh, the question. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. yeah. And then the Charlton characters became the inspiration for Watchmen because DC was buying the Charlton characters and Alan Moore thought that they had them and they didn't, so we had to change them and create new characters. That's why. Well, the, that's kind of cool, That's though. how the question I... becomes Rorschach and... Captain Adam I mean, becomes, if he's, he uh, was really at the beginning of that then. Right. In 68, Dick Giordano offered an editorial position at DC and took a number of Charlton freelancers with him, including Denny O'Neill. His first assignments involved two strategies for bolstering DC sales. One approach centered on the creation of new characters, and O'Neill scripted several issues of Beware the Creeper, a series starring a new hero, the Creeper, created by <laughs> artist Steve Ditko. DC moved O'Neill to Wonder Woman and Justice League of America with artist Mike Sikowski. He took away Wonder Woman's powers, exiled her from Amazon community, and set her off uncostumed into the international intrigues with her blind mentor, I Ching. These changes did not sit well with Wonder Woman's older fans, particularly feminists. O'Neill later acknowledged that he depowered DC's most well-known superheroine had intentionally alienated readers. Um, there's a wonderful part in uh, the documentary they did called Secret Origins, the History of DC Comics. Denny O'Neill is on this documentary a ton, for those that want to hear from where, him. Where, 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 did you, where can you find this? Uh, that would be HBO Max, I would think. Oh, okay. Um, but they do a whole thing about this of Denny O'Neill writing Wonder Woman in the 70s, where he's like, I, he's like, looking back on it now, it looks so bad. But he's like, I promise you, my intentions were like, he's like I was just a young, stupid <laughs> they were kid. Honorable. He's like, but yeah, like I took Wonder Woman, this feminist icon, stripped her of all her powers, and then gave her a male mentor, which she had to like earn the respect of a man and whatever. And he's like, then he's like, all of a sudden, you, these like 
hate mail letters started coming in. And he said, and then there was a, remember Ms. Magazine back in the day? Oh, yeah. There was this big article published about what DC's done to Wonder Woman and this oh, writer, whatever. Really? He's like, all I can say is that they never named me in that article. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, yeah, kinda... he's like, he's like, I, I, I shit the bed on that one, like that one. He's like, yeah, he's like, it, it's just one of those that, uh, looking back on it, not, not the best thing. Um, let's see. Uh, in Justice League, he had more success introducing into the title that the first socially and politically themed stories, setting the stage for later work on Green Lantern and Green Arrow, hard traveling heroes. He and artist Dick Dillon made several changes to the membership of the JLA by removing founder members. Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman. Wow. He was See, like, he, he took her powers down. away and then he kicked her out of the Justice League. Yeah, I'm like, son of a bitch. Following the lead set by Bob Haney and Neil Adams in The Brave and the Bold, um, that redefined Green Arrow into the version that appeared in comics between 69 and 86, O'Neill stripped him of his wealth and Playboy status, making him an urban hero, similar more to Robin Hood, obviously. Uh, the redefinition would culminate in the character that appeared in Green Lantern and Green Arrow. With many stories also drawn by Adams, a social conscious left-wing creation that effectively took over Green Lantern's book to use him as a foil and straw man and sounding out the political concepts that would define the work. It was during this period that the most famous Green Arrow story appeared in Green Lantern 85 to 86, Snowbirds Don't Fly, when it was revealed that Green Arrow's ward Speedy was addicted to heroin, which is like one of the most famous (coughs) covers of all time. Like something that would never happen. Like... It's 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 ridiculous to me. This is still in the age of like the Comics Code Authority. Like they got that printed because you couldn't do that now. Like the cover of a comic book having like a miner on the cover with a needle in his hand. <laughs> yeah, you got me there. With Green Arrow going, no, my young boar is addicted to heroin. You know, whatever. It's <laughs> like, yeah, did, why? But please. Did you have the? Yeah, did it sound like that? But please. You look at his face on the cover. It's like, oh, wow. yeah. it's like, how the hell did they get that published back then, man? A, a, probably a lot of ways. All right. A Keep going. The, the, Green Arrow, Green Arrow, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern comic book from back in the day is like the perfect rebuttal to like the people that like, oh, comics didn't ever used to be political or whatever. Because this book came out. Oh clear back in the day and it was like it was a vehicle to just talk about social issues like Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams decided to put Green Arrow and and Hal Jordan together and back in the day they made Hal Jordan sore, sort of more of a conservative uh, he's a military guy and Green Arrow was sort of the hippie liberal whatever and like they go on these adventures together and you see these ideals constantly clash with each other and the different dialogues that they would have about things. And so it's just funny when people try to, would have you believe that like, you know, comics didn't ever used to have an agenda or to whatever. Yeah. It's like oh. they've been doing this shit for 50, 60 years. So this man. is just the Remember stopping. Captain America punching Hitler? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, that's <laughs> Propaganda, a, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is one step before the cocaine thing, so... Yeah. It's like it's heroin. like the I mean heroin. it's like the first issue of that Green Lantern Green Arrow and Mary I think is going to talk about it but like how Jordan comes back to Earth after being gone for so long and he's so out of touch with human problems and you know this is during the sixties right this is like this is like civil rights movement and all kinds of these things are going on whatever and it's like 
how Jordan gets approached by this African-American man. And it's like, let me get this straight, like spaceman. Like you've done all these things to help people with purple skin and orange skin. Have you ever done anything to help somebody with black skin? Oh, shit. Whatever. And like this came out like 50, 60 years ago, <laughs> dude. This comic book, it's fucking insane. Don't push your agendas on me. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. What is uh, that? Okay. Um, Denny O'Neill recounted that I went from total obscurity to seeing my name featured in the New York Times and being invited to do talk shows. It's by no means an unmixed blessing that messed up my head pretty thoroughly for a couple of years, deteriorating, mar- deteriorating marriages, bad habits, relationships with human beings, and anything that wasn't a typewriter. In fact, it was bad a few years there. Uh, O'Neill and Adams also created the Green Lantern character John Stewart, who debuted mm. in Green Lantern Volume 2, number 87. Uh, he's the first he's the first black superhero to not have the word black in his name somewhere. And he right? went on to host the Daily Show. Not mm-hmm. yeah. Not Black Lightning or Black Panther well, or whatever. He's just kinda, Green Lantern. Black Adam. Right. I kinda dig his whole I mean, if you have to think of somebody who, at that time you don't realize that what he's saying right there is so applicable to now. I mean, he was thinking he was making such a change in the, uh, I apologize, I burped there horribly, but he, it is so similar. History doesn't change as much as you think it would. He... It certainly doesn't change as quickly as people would assume that it was. Yeah, I mean, the things he's going through and what he said about the, you know, his arc of writing is the same things that we're going through right now and i kind of appreciate him whether or not he was the first one to hit it at that Mm -hmm. moment in time it is kind of nice that he realized the impact he was gonna have right i know um neil adams spoke i mean neil adams i think was much more of a get in front of the camera or do interviews, things, whatever, than Daddy O'Neill was. So a lot of these stories come from him. So they're sort of, take them for what they're worth. Yeah. But I know that he spoke a lot about John Stewart and the fact that him and Daddy O'Neill had to fight a lot for what that character would eventually become because oh, yeah. according to Neil Adams, like, you know, before John Stewart, most black characters in comics were thugs of some kind or had some sort of criminal backgrounds or whatever. It's like, we wanted to make John, like John Stewart has a law degree. Like he was a college graduate. He was an educated black man and all these things, whatever. And like, we had to fight for like, these are imp- like, no, you can't change this. This has to matter because these characters don't exist in the medium right now, but there's people out there that will resonate with this. And it was like, they fought a lot for, you know, even just the tiniest little details with with editors back in the day, which is really cool. And like you look at John Stewart now, especially in a world in in a world post Justice League, the the cartoon, the Bruce Tim cartoon show. I think for a lot of people, when they hear Green Lantern, they think of him because if even if they don't read comics, they probably saw that cartoon at some point. So like, how Jordan might not even be the most you know like the most recognizable Green Lantern, which is kind of cool. I remember when they announced that they were doing that, that and they're like, and it's going to be John Stewart Green mm. Lantern. I'm like, oh, that's not what I was expecting them right. to do. And like, obviously, for diversity's sake, it's like, okay, we got a whole team of white people here. Let's put John. Let's yeah. let's put John Stewart on the team, and he's great. He's great. Introduced to a whole generation, mine and Mary's generation, certainly. 
Um, Danny O'Neill's 1970s run on Batman under the direction of editor Julius Schwartz was one of the you know the goats of DC and comics in general. It's perhaps his best known endeavor, getting back to the character's darker roots after a period dominated by the campiness of the 1960s TV series. Comics historian Lee Daniels observed that Denny O'Neill's interpretation of Batman as a vengeful, obsessive, compulsive, mm-hmm. which he modestly describes as a return to the roots, was actually an act of creative imagination that has influenced every subsequent version of The Dark Knight since. Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' creation of Ra's al Ghul was introduced in the story Daughter of the Demon in Batman 232. Mm-hmm. O'Neill and artist Bob Brown also created Talia al Ghul during this period. O'Neill frequently teamed up with his regular collaborator Adams. On a number of memorable issues of both Batman and Detective Comics, the creative team would revive Two-Face in Half an Evil and revitalize the Joker and the Joker's five-way revenge in Batman number 251. A landmark story bringing the character back to his roots as a homicidal maniac who murders people on a whim and delights in his mayhem. So there's there was a lot of cleanup stuff, obviously, that had to be done after <coughs> Batman 66. Like as, as much of a phenomenon as that show was... It it did a lot of damage to the brand of yeah. Batman. And I really like kind of hammering this nail in a little bit more because I think Frank Miller gets a lot of credit for returning Batman back to the dark roots in the 80s when Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill had done it a decade early. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. The, one thing had to happen for the next thing to happen, but it's not like Batman 66 happens and then Batman is this campy, colorful character until Frank Miller comes and does yeah, year one right. or Dark Knight and then in the year one. It's, there was a there was a transition. long run here with Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill where it's like Batman it, they went back to detective based story like if you read them now and I read one of them for for this and we'll talk about it later but if you read them now they're not the darkest stories necessarily in in a in a view from 50 years later but at the time they were much more serious than the hokey batman that had been taking place what i previously because i i read the same stuff not the exact same stuff but like i remember when i read mine i was like this it's dated but it's i loved it it was like it's still good like, it felt like an old sweater. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's some stuff that doesn't age well. Oh yeah, and you know, there's and there's certain things about this that doesn't, but it mm. was still like this is still damn good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Um, O'Neill and uh, Giordano created the Batman supporting character Leslie Tompkins in the story "There's No Hope in Crime Alley" in Detective Four Fifty Seven. <laughs> O'Neill and artist Don Newton killed the original version of Batwoman in Detective Comics 485. He wrote a short Christmas story, Wanted, Santa Claus, Dead or Alive, for DC Special Series number 21, which featured Frank Miller's first art on a Batman story. I have, I have that in a Frank Miller leather bound. Talk about a, a passing of torches. Uh. When Julius Schwartz became the editor of Superman in uh, 1971, he had O'Neill and artist Kurt Swan streamline the Superman mythos starting... With the elimination of Kryptonite in 1973, O'Neill wrote revivals of two characters for which DC had recently acquired. The publishing rights, a new series featuring the original Captain Marvel, was launched with a February cover date, now known as Shazam, obviously. Uh, Featured art by the character's original artist, C.C. Beck. Later that same year, O'Neill and artist Michael Kaluta produced an atmospheric interpretation of the 1930s pulp hero, The Shadow. In 75, O'Neill wrote a comic book adaptation of the 1930s hero, The Avenger. 
A revival of Green Lantern title in 1976 was launched by O'Neill and artist Mike Grell. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. Uh, reuniting with Adams and O'Neill co-wrote the oversized Superman versus Muhammad Ali, which Adams has called a personal favorite of his collabor- of their collaboration. I had that when I was a kid. I had a bunch of those giant comic books that we'd take on our vacations. Oh, yeah. I had that one. There was a big... I think we had a big Star Wars one. We had a big Close Encounters of the Third Kind one, but they were just these big fucking... O'Neill returned to Marvel in 1980, uh, took on the scripting chores for The Amazing Spider-Man, which he did for a year. O'Neill wrote two issues of The Amazing Spider-Man Annual, which were both drawn by Frank Miller. Mm. 1980 Annual featured a team-up with Doctor Strange, while the 81 Annual showcased a beating with The Punisher. He and artist John Romita Jr. introduced Madam Web. In Amazing Spider-Man 210 and Hydro-Man 212. Uh, O'Neill was the regular scripter for Iron Man from 82 to 86 and Daredevil from 83 to 85. During his run on Iron Man, O'Neill introduced Obadiah Stane, later the Iron Monger, plunged by Tony Stark back into the alcoholism, turned Jim Jim Rhodes into Iron Man, created the silver Centurion armor, O'Neill's run on Daredevil bridged the gap between Frank Miller's two runs on the title. Usually with uh, David Masekeli as artist. I love Masekeli's art. Uh, he introduced Yuriko Oyama during his stint, who would later become the popular X-Men villain Lady Deathstrike. Mm-hmm. While working for Marvel, he helped write the original character concept for the Transformers and is credited as the person who named Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. Nice. That, that's one of those things that um, I had heard a, for a long time and wasn't sure if that was like a myth. And I remember when Kevin Smith was still doing uh, Fat Man on Batman back in the day and was interviewing comic creators. He did a, a big, long episode with Denny O'Neill, and they talked about that. And, you know, according to Denny O'Neill, yeah, he named Optimus Prime. Hmm. Cool. That, was this because of the, the comic book, I'm assuming? So, so it was very early on, pre-cartoon, obviously. Hasbro had come up with the toy idea. They were going to launch it. They were going to. So the comic came before the TV show did. They wanted to have a comic line that was going to run with this new toy. That, and basically, like at that point, all it was is like we have this idea for um, toys, robots that could turn into other stuff. Because it was back then, it was like okay, a lot of families don't have a ton of money, so we feel like there's a market if we could have like we could sell kids a car that also turns into like a guy. Mm-hmm. And th- that was it. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. And then so. At some point, comic writers came up with the whole sort of lore of like they're from Cybertron and blah blah blah. But yeah, supposedly Denny O'Neill named Optimus Prime, which you know that's pretty sweet. Kind of cool. I remember Spider-Man being on that cover, webbing up Megatron on that first issue. Was he? Yeah, that's fucking sweet. Um, I I remember um, on that podcast with Kevin Smith, they were talking about the Obadiah Stane thing, and he's like. Kevin Smith asked him, he's like, does that shit like bother you that like, you know, like that, that's your creation, man. And it feels like you don't get any of the credit really, you know, whatever he's like, he's like, it seems to bother my wife much more than it bothers me. Like when we walked out of the first Iron Man movie, I was just so happy to have seen Obadiah in the movie. It's like, and Jeff Bridges is like, a you know, this super A-list actor, in my opinion, that it was like, here's this character, whatever. I was happy there, but He's like, my wife will, will tell you different. That, like, you know, like, it's not fair. Like, they should have, you know, given you a, a royalty or some sort of a credit or something. And the movies have gotten much better about that since then, where um, I, I imagine Marvel, I know DC 
really does a lot of that stuff in the credits where it's like they'll credit yeah. Frank Miller, Brian Azzarello, Jeff John, whatever, like characters that or writers that worked on books that they sort of use as inspiration. You know, a little goes a long way. But yeah. I'm sorry, it wasn't number one. It was issue three of the original four-part miniseries. That's fucking sweet. Um, Danny O'Neill awesome. returned to DC in 86 and became the editor of the various Batman titles served in the capacity until 2000. Which, I mean, that's a fucking stint. From 86 okay. to 2000, he was the editor on Batman. Especially when you really think about how crazy the 90s were for Batman. Because... Like when I think of like '90s Batman, I'm thinking of like Contagion Nightfall. and like Nightfall, <laughs> and obviously like No Man's Land, and like all these giant like things that happened in those books back then. Pretty pretty crazy that uh, Denny O'Neill was kind of the guy that was overseeing a lot of that. And a shit. lot of that stuff, because probably because he was overseeing mm. it, a lot of that just went from Where, just one one big thing right yeah. to the other. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> oh shit. In February 87, O'Neill began writing The Question, ongoing series which was primarily drawn by Dennis Cohen. Uh, between the years of 88 and 1990, O'Neill would return to Green Arrow writing the annuals alongside the main title because he was also in charge of The Question. He would appear in all three annuals that he wrote. Um, the Batman Legends of the Dark Knight series began in 89 with the five-part Shaman storyline by O'Neill and artist Ed Hannigan. The series was the first new Batman title in almost 50 years, and the first issue sold almost a million copies. Um, Armageddon 2001 was a 1991 crossover event storyline. It ran through a self-titled two-issue limited series, and most of the annuals DC published that year from May through October. Each participating annual explored potential possible futures for its main characters. The series was written by O'Neill and Archie Goodwin when drawn by Dan Jurgens. Love Dan Jurgens. He and artist Joe Casada created the character Asriel. Yeah. Who was introduced in the four-issue miniseries? Uh, the the Asriel story is a story I'm sure I've told on this podcast like so many times, but it's like one of my favorites ever. Like Joe Casada said that like it was supposed to be a joke and that no one was supposed to like it. Like no because one was like Asriel, the design for Asriel because oh, Joe okay. Casada because this this was during like the original. The, well, this was during the image boom, right? And it was like this was a time where a lot of comic readers were like. We like Spawn and stuff, whatever, because they like they got big spikes and chains and they fucking kill people, whatever. And a bunch of people at Marvel and DC were sort of like, you guys think you want this, but you don't. You know, it's like, fine, then we'll give you a fucking Batman like this. That you guys are gonna see how awful this is, and I'll design this shitty Batman with these big ass shoulder pads and whatever, but Asriel Batman, and then it like sold like. <laughs> I think the, like crazy. The, the problem, Joe Casada was like, he's like, I was so disappointed, but at the same time happy. It was like, damn it, you guys weren't supposed to like this. His his original design before he was Batman was mm-hmm. cool. The, the the red and yeah, yeah, yeah. like the the cape and stuff. But yeah, yeah. like I couldn't tell you he that that outfit. I don't know if you've ever read the Nightfall stuff, mm-hmm. but he's constantly it's it's like Iron Man. He's constantly upgrading and changing right. the armor. So there's I can never really look and go. That's the definitive Azrael Batman because That's it's fair. constantly different. It, like I have an image in my head, if I think about it, but it's probably a mismatch of a bunch of different ones. Mm. That, but like if you look at it with the frame of mind that this came out oh, during yeah. the image stuff, you're like, oh yeah, you can see the influence of like they're yeah. sort of mocking what Liefeld and McFarlane were doing at Image at that time. But 
or you could just maybe say they were cashing in on the 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 trend. Either way, uh, he was introduced in a miniseries called Batman: Sword of Azrael '92. That same year, O'Neill wrote. Batman Birth of the Demon hardcover graphic novel another DC one-shot issue that O'Neill wrote in 92 was Batman Green Arrow the Poison Tomorrow. O'Neill led the Batman creative teams for Nightfall story arc from 93 to 94 during which Azrael temporarily became the new Batman in 94 O'Neill wrote a novelization of Nightfall. In the opening of the novelization O'Neill stated the part of the reason Nightfall was written was due to the recent popularity of more ruthless heroes such as the Terminator, James Bond, and films as editors were starting to wonder if readers would prefer a Batman who was willing to kill his opponents. That makes... They're obviously going to list Terminator and James Bond because they're not going to... They're <coughs> they're not going to give the image people uh, yeah. the recognition. That, that makes a lot of sense. I always wondered, like, he's he gets his back broken mm-hmm. and instead of like hey dick you're gonna be batman no he gets this new character yeah. i always felt that was off it, it's but fucked it, up, no yeah. it, it makes is. sense i would argue that uh, grant morrison writes that wrong decade and a half later but i would i would be disagreed with it if i brought that up so uh, after the conclusion of nightfall o'neill wrote the 100 issue Azrael comic <coughs> series chronicling <coughs> Valley's battles against the Order of St. Dumas between 95 and 2003. O'Neill modeled the series on Arthurian legends, comparing Azrael's quest to discover the truth about himself to the Holy Grail. The series was originally intended to conclude with Azrael's death. However, after O'Neill suffered a heart attack in September of 02, editor Mike Carlin decided it wouldn't be appropriate to have a character O'Neill created be killed off. Mm. O'Neill instead left Azrael's fate vague, preferring to let the readers decide what happened to him. O'Neill wrote several other novels, comics, short stories, reviews, and teleplays, including the novelizations of Batman <coughs> Begins, The Dark Knight, and um, oh, those two, but under the pseudonym of Jim Dennis with writer Jim Barry. O'Neill scripted a series of novels about a kung fu character named Richard Dragon and later adapted those novels to comic book form for DC. He wrote a four-part column series for Marvel's 78 Hulk magazine under the pseudonym Jeff Mundo. Mundo. <laughs> yeah. Mundo. Or Mundo, whatever. Um, and then he did a bunch of editing. And then he also spent a bunch of his time teaching, spent several years in the late 90s teaching a writing for the comics course of Manhattan School of Visual Arts. Oh, cool. Sometimes sharing duties with fellow comic book writer John Ostrander. Love to love John Ostrander as well. So yeah, that's uh, that's 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 mostly Denny O'Neill's. And then he died in New York. He did. He died in New York. Just like a comedian died in <laughs> New York City on October twelfth, nineteen eighty-five. I don't anyway, understand that. It's a Watchmen joke. Oh okay. Oh yeah. yeah. I forgot. That's 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 Denny O'Neill, you guys. Yes. Um, he he's one of those that like, I never got to meet personally. Unfortunately, met Neil Adams. A couple times. Yeah. Um, and I've said this before. Neil Adams was always a very wonderful human being to me. I know some people have other experiences with him, but he was very kind to me multiple times I met him. But Denny O'Neill, every time I saw him in any sort of... He was one that showed up in any sort of like... Uh, documentary or like when when DC in the early days when they were doing like the animated movies, they would always have like these cool bonus stuff that was like... Here's a little mini documentary on Crisis on Infinite Earths or like a death in the family or whatever. Like he's one that would just always pop. Like he seemed to, he was always willing to like come sit and talk about 
different stuff that he worked on. And he just seemed like the sweetest old, because I, I knew him as an old man. He was always an old man he in, was my, old. in my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so, but he just seemed like the sweetest old guy, old. you know? I still say the, <laughs> the best part of the Death of Superman DVD was that documentary they did for it. That the, was the. There's a ton of them of those original, like maybe the first two, three years of them. Like there's a ton of them that have awesome little documentaries like that. Yeah. Daniel Neil might be on that one too somewhere. Well, I don't the, know. I remember watching because uh, we were allowed to play that stuff at, mm. at night flight. And I, I would just put it on and not really pay attention. Yeah. And the documentary would play and I'd listen to it. And then at one point, I don't know on what viewing, I remember looking up and I'm like, holy shit, that's Night Flight. Holy yeah. shit, that's Mimi. There was like yeah. just a bunch of stuff from, <laughs> yeah. like, so I'm like, oh, okay. Like, There's this door. <laughs> holy shit. That works. Is this real life? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I, would, I would say that, like, um, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams are, like, right there behind, like, Stanley Jack Kirby for, like, the most... Like what? Like when you think of one, you think of the other one almost. Oh, yeah. And like, as far as a comic writing duo, they like, might be number two. Claremont and Byrne. Yeah, like, like that. There, there's yeah. certain ones that just go, you know, a, a, a modern one. I guess would be like Scott Snyder, Snyder and Greg Capullo. Capullo. Yeah, but um, that's exactly I was, who I thought. I was thinking um, that is a good one. But I was thinking um, Bendis and oh, Bagley. Yeah, Bendis Bagley. Yeah, mm. I think like. Um, uh, Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely, yeah. Jeff Johns, and Ethan Van Skyver, or even like Ivan Rice. Um, yeah. But yeah, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams is like, they're just one of those two that it's like, for a while there, they were just like in this zone where it was like nothing but net. Just mm-hmm. like everything they touched is like, we're going to do Green Lantern, Green Arrow, we're going to do Batman, and we're going to, you know, it's like everything they were doing was just not only pushing the medium forward in a time where like comics was still sort of figuring out what their medium was or like what it could be because in the forties and fifties, they were very much just sort of like, here's cheap entertainment, whatever. Like by the time you get to the sixties and seventies, when these guys were coming up, it's like, this can actually be legitimate storytelling if we, if we want it to be. And I, I would argue that like they helped sort of define that era for comic books. So yeah. Move on to some book reports, Mary. Yeah. Talk about. I read Green Lantern, Green Arrow. The hard traveling heroes. Mm, Yes. Themselves. I read. Heroes is that their. Yeah. It's like the dynamic duo. They're the hard traveling heroes. I didn't read all of it. Hard traveling heroes. Green Lantern, Green Arrow. I read five, six issues. Nice. So I'm gonna say that's fair. Uh, So it's. I mean, we've talked about it a lot. I feel like on this podcast, the the story, which is. You have your Green Lantern, your cop guy, and then you have your Green Arrow, who's like the Robin Hood, and you know they're and then just you have your heroine, and then they <laughs> and they and then they go on a road trip with a guardian. Like we're gonna travel the country and <laughs> learn about the world. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's just a, do good, plant apple trees. Yeah, I think <laughs> Johnny Appleseed. In their minds, when they were writing it, they sort of planned it to. They believed that, like, we're going to sort of show these two dynamics of these different, uh, you know, philosophies of thinking and sort of, like, present them both. But because Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill were both sort of hippies back in the day and were very left-leaning, 
it it doesn't come off as like we're representing both sides. It comes off as Green Arrow educating Green Lantern yeah. on <laughs> on a lot of the things, <laughs> but that their intentions were good. Yeah, intentions were good. Uh, there's some cr- there's some uh, cringe things in there though. Uh, Tell like, us about the cringe thing. <laughs> well, in one of the things, they go to, um, I don't know, like a Indian reservation or something like that. Because Black Canary to buy gets fireworks. And yeah. Liquor. So Black Canary is like traveling to like try to find Green Arrow um, because she loves him. I don't know. Well, I yeah, they had a and they had a um, she gets kind of taken into like this hypnotist cult <gasps> it, it, it hypnotizes her to like basically do his bidding anyways the cringe thing is that they say redskins <laughs> like oh. so that's well, the that was the no. cringe thing that to i was like fair, ah, though, it's okay like, it's hard to really say that's like dated because that was still a football team until two years ago yeah. like so it's, it's still dated like but yeah. like it's not like oh Look how at this book, how date it's like people were still saying this regularly within the last couple years. And then at, immediately after that issue had resolved, then the next uh, cover was Green Arrow going to shoot uh, Green Lantern and he calls Very himself famous. a redskin. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh not my redskin brothers and I, and uh, I don't know. Like that's thought, that's how it came off the, as me. That like really famous one where he's shooting the lantern. Oh no, like, never again. No, yeah. that that's a different one. No, this one is this like one just it was. It was just a random thing that I was like, covers, oh, okay. <laughs> so I didn't finish it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a long. It was a long run. It's a long run. I mean, oh, to, yeah. to, no, to finish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I read six, five to six. Issues. I am so. so oh, I thought you were like. I read five and six. Yeah. <laughs> no, six. I, I read from five so to six. Yes. Um, and it was it was a fun ride. It was like. Was it something you'd want to go back to and finish eventually, or are you you good with what you got? I'm good with what I got. So it's one of those things that like some of those books that are that old. There, there's not a whole lot that I feel like they necessarily offer to the modern reader other yeah. than historical context. So like, as long as you read enough of it to appreciate like understand and appreciate why the book is important for comics history you got it like it's not necessarily like you haven't read that run like it's a it's something you need to i wouldn't say you need to read it but you just need to understand why it happened and you know what i mean like you need to know what its place in the timeline of shit that happened but i wouldn't consider it like required you know like Denny O'Neill Neil Adams Batman run I wouldn't say like required reading for a Batman fan necessarily but it's important historically yeah so but it was fun Aaron what'd you read I am so proud of you Tales of the Demon and why I say that is because I read one issue one issue I Ah. bested you oh you totally did but Aaron will still take longer to talk about one issue than you took to talk about six (laughs) fuck you. What See was how that? long like, she drug out that fucking <laughs> <issue. laughs> milked it for all it's worth. She, she before we get into it, she, the the issue she read. Mm-hmm. And this is from what's the trade? The trade is Tales of the Demon. Okay. So it's all okay. the ra- rash out. Is this in print? Is this something you can get or no? Uh, I'm not too sure at this okay. point. This is kind of old. She read uh, DC Special Series number 15. I now pronounce you Batman and You know why oh. I read it. It's because it's like I pronounce dum, you Batman. Dum, dum. Oh, yeah. 
Everybody, fuck yeah! I read it and it's it's not dated, but it's kind of dated. <laughs> it's not dated, no, but right. it's kind of dated. I kind of wonder about that. I don't want to ruin it for readers, and I don't want to say just it's talk safe. about it. It's enjoyable. It's old. Wow. If they yeah. haven't read it, then I haven't read it. I guarantee it. Just just say it. What, what happens? Does he get married? Does, Cat, yes, does he, he get married to Catwoman? He does get married, and it's not Catwoman. Oh, it's his... Dang it. Does he show his penis? My God. Yeah, I guess it is dated in comparison to this whole, like, does he show his penis? It <laughs> is it like Batman Damned. No, it is not oh, like dang. he shows his penis, <laughs> and it's not. I guess it is a little dated, but it's... It's good. Cover your dated. ears, Ahmed. It is, uh, here's Batman. He's fighting crime, and he knows that He's his getting love married. of his life is Talia. And he knows he, when he gets married, he's not quite all with it. Uh, is he f- hypnotized by a cult? No, by he's... Her <laughs> Woo! No, it's kind of like, uh, knocked out with knockout gas in a way and he's like what's going on and he realizes all of a sudden like shit's going i would guess if you were like given a lot of drugs Whoa. and you're yes. standing there and you're like there's a you'd realize the you're bride, in and love she's beautiful mind you and yes that little part where he's like a little beautiful and can only he be goes, in love if I'm on drugs. <laughs> Congratulations. I pronounce you Batman and wife. You're like, what? <laughs> and that's the name of the book. Would that stand in a court, though? Mm, Batman true. and wife. Well, I mean, it's Batman. He wouldn't go to court. He'd be like, I can't do that. He'd bad ring his ass out of well, there. Well, did he write Batman or did he write Bruce Wayne? No, it was Batman, and she loves him, and he thinks she's Batman, hot. not legally binding. Nah, but he thinks, again, I think the sexual tension between him and Talia is there, and he feels really bad about this. And if I think he didn't really have to leave, he would totally have married Talia. And he did. In theory, she's yeah, a bad she guy. would get the whole Robin thing I mean, later they on. they had a kid together. Yeah. He, whether or not they had a kid in this up, this issue. Was that consensual? Was that a consensual kid? No, it wasn't. She drugged him. No, yeah. she drugged him, yeah. 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 Uh, wow, isn't that kind of cool to she, say? She, she drugged him. She basically roofied him. <laughs> it wasn't consensual him. because of a female. She drugged the I actually fuck didn't know that. It. I actually didn't know that. Oh, she yeah, was she, like not. She basically roofied his ass. Yeah, and then, and then she dropped him on her on his doorstep. Said, yeah. "Here you go, take your kid." Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> He's I mean, like, I don't know what happened last night, but it, pe- it hurt. It burns. When she, I she no. and, and the cool thing <laughs> this is, <laughs> the cool thing is, in all these issues, she is. Is it from all this these issue? issues? I thought you read one. Well, I flipped through the other two motherfuckers. I am like a whore. I flipped through them all. I was like, oh my god, what's going on? And I was sitting on the toilet while I did it. I was like, oh my god. So but gracious. the coolest thing is this woman really loves Batman because he is And that's true. to drug him. Oh, she did a lot of things to him. But in this particular episode, she took is it. Is it Dahmer or Dahmer? 
Well, she took a hit on the job because Batman, he knew what's going on. And the sad thing is, is he didn't want to hit her on the chin and knock her out. And she... She kind of deserves it, though. She drugged him. Yeah. <laughs> she deserves it. But in this particular issue, I only read one. Which... Granted, that's a, that's a retcon. That Thank doesn't you. happen here. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a retcon that I kind of was hoping Mary didn't read like six issues. I just read one and it was beautiful. The <laughs> artwork is stunning. He clearly is, is has Neil a Adams, story. Does Neil Adams draw that or is it somebody else? I don't think that was Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. It'll tell you in the that front page. Yeah, I don't it think it was. Um, but it was a stunning uh, storytelling. It was definitely Michael Golden. It wasn't dated, but dated. You want to think artwork-wise, but the if you look back at all these storylines, you want to think stories don't happen all the time, and you don't want to think history happens all the time because we're bigger than that, but mm. it is true. Everything is the same old where Batman loves a girl, he can't have Talia. the girl, and he can't, like, but she leaves him at the end. I think the the story was strong. I think the fluffy part of I'm the very end, much in the Batman Talia camp of, like, there's, like, the... Oh, my God, there, the, 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 There's the people that, like, Selena's kind of the one he's supposed no, to be. I, I'm, I I'm, a, I'm a Batman Talia person. Well, I think... Hmm. She has this, I don't know, maybe it's the sheer... I'm I'm gonna be honest with you, I love the Justice League cartoon, so I'm a Batman Wonder Woman girl. Oh, (laughs) Oh, good girl. Don't know why, that's just how it is. For me, I'm... She'd rip his dick off. (laughs) He'd like it. He likes the danger, the power. I think it may be different. For me, Talia was clearly seeing him as like the shit. Like mm-hmm. when I look at Kylie, my Oh, husband, she's in love with him. Yeah. yeah. But when and I you're look in at love my, with him? my Kylie, he's mine. Like no one else's. He's mine. And for Talia, when she looks at Batman, he is the one and only. And you look at it's Dahmer. Well, I, I, th- I think I think Raz Al Ghul loves no, don't. Batman oh, too, to, to a degree. No, I, I think that's no. part of what makes it. So does the it... Joker. Wasn't there no, somebody who wrote Joker in that way that like shit. Joker was in love with? Down, yeah, man. Okay. Um, so Kylie, what? What before they bring it okay. all down, what do you got? What'd you read, Kylie? I read, again, from the same book, The Tales of the Demon, I read the first appearances of things. So I read the first Talia story, the first... I've always pronounced it Roz, but I, it's... Raish, I guess. Uh, really? There's, it, it, I've it, always it said Raish. You, you, can, you can say it however. Okay. And then I read the um, the introduction of the Lazarus Pit as well. Yeah. All right. Um, and another, what I was talking about earlier, what I've I really... I've always said Raz too. What I really liked about this was, like, this is like that era of Batman where he's like traveling all over the world. It's yeah. just not centered in Gotham city mm-hmm. fighting like the bad guys. It's like, mm-hmm. now I'm going to Cairo and now I'm going here. He's like jet setting all over the place and he's Batman. It's like mission like, impossible. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it just, you just it's don't bit. see it that a lot. Anymore, no. You know? And is um, it back when this was published, it's like, you just didn't even question it. Like, Oh yeah, Batman's fucking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was just that. It's that. You don't uh, question that shit. The passports, they'd be able to track that. The first issue was Detective 
was it that? Yeah, Detective 411, which is called Into the Den of the Death Dealers. Nice. Um, and that one, he is, he's uh, searching for, what's his name? Dr. Dark with two R's. <laughs> Dr. Dark. 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 Um, Dark. And or are you supposed to roll the R? Is it supposed to be uh, dark? I don't know. Dark. Dark. Roach. R.I.P. Or I mean, R.I.P. R.I.P. But he's tracking him down. Um, and again, they're in, where the hell they go? They're somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Um, because even when they're talking, it has lives. the little so. asterisks and it says, note, this and subsequent subsequent speech translated from a native dialect. They don't even tell you what the language yeah. is. Well, I, to be. Yeah, I mean, they, they cover the tracks a but little he, bit. But he tracks down Doctor Dark. Um, they jump off a train, and he's got a woman with him, and he follows. And the woman's captive, and he finds out this is Talia. Talia. And uh, he, this guy Doctor Dark, worked for her father and mm. screwed him over. And so he helps Polly her escape. And a red dress, and yes. Like it's it's kind of crazy. Like he's gonna take him to justice. They the the fight goes back to the train tracks. He he's he's like, oh, are you gonna take me to the authorities now? He's like, yep, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. And Talia shoots him, and he this is for this was 1971. Yeah. He falls on the that fucking train, just goes right over his ass. Oh, like, yeah. That's pretty gruesome for yeah. 71. Oh yeah. Um, Come on, you buddy. And the next issue after that was the introduction, the introduction of, of Roz, and it's uh, Batman. You know, it's, it's really interesting that I, I've always said Roz too, because I grew up on Batman the animated series, and they say yeah. they say Raish yeah. there. Do yeah. they? So it's weird that that's the I first say time Roz. because all the time reading the comics, it, it always that's how it's I always pronounce it. And then again, watching the animated, it's like Raish. I'm like, what? 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 I, again, I think it's uh, any any other language or anything. I think Utahns we pronounce our A's differently. It's not like uh, any, but where's the H in there? Again, well, I the think thing is, it's, it's like it's, it, how it, it's a Middle Eastern based character, but he's also like from like an ethnicity that doesn't actually exist. So, True. so you can say it however you want. Again, yeah. I think we're Utahns. We are. So anyway, yeah, the next sorry. one was Batman two thirty two, called mm-hmm. Daughter of the Demon. And that's Deans. when he, it starts out with Robin going through a window and he gets shot. Robin, yeah. He it uh, down the. Doesn't Ra's al Ghul mean the demon's head in Arabic? Isn't that what it means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he gets a <sighs> uh, Bruce Wayne gets a picture of Robin all tied up, and it's like we've got we've got Robin. Save him if you can. If you can. and then immediately he goes to the back. And I don't know. Batman's like, oh, fuck, I don't know where one. he's living at this point. <laughs> Um, it looks like he's like in an apartment somewhere, and he goes back to the mansion to get into the Batcave. And they they have a big thing. He's like, like, um, what was it? We should never have left this old place, but but th- times change and people must change with them. Like they left the mansion right. for some reason. I don't know what was going oh, on at that time. But he goes into the cave, and then there's Raz Al Ghul and his his Raj and his big bodyguard waiting for him. And he pulls out a photo, same thing he got, but it's Talia. Mm-hmm. He's like, I need your help to save my daughter. I, I, I'm just going to say now, for, for me, for my money, the best. I, Batman has the greatest rogues gallery of 
anybody in comics. I think I think most people would agree with that. For me, Ra's al Ghul is the best. Oh yeah. Just because he's the he's the closest one to Batman's equal mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. He's he's incredibly smart, trained in like multiple forms of martial arts, and he has whatever. And but like the intellect is like obviously that. Like, oh yeah. Well, three panels into his first appearance, he's like, "This is how I deduced your Bruce Wayne." Yeah. Like, this like, is how I got here. Like Ra's al Ghul, yeah. For my money best Batman villain ever made but they go they get on the private jet and they go you know traipsing to the Alps or wherever they're at and this is this is it, it turns out that like who they're going it was, it's all a big test for Batman mm-hmm. like it, this was all Ra's al Ghul doing this and he had it figured out before and he then it, it's one of those awesome ones where it's like if you go back and look at it you're like oh yeah, this makes sense how he figured it out. Right. So at the end, he's like, I knew what you guys were up to, and this is how I figured it out. I'm like, oh, I should have figured that out, <laughs> yeah. but I didn't. Um, <coughs> let's see. And then the... So, God, what was it? And yeah, Talia is just in love with him. Yeah. But uh, so then I, then I skipped it ahead to the Lazarus Pit story. And... Basically, he is, he's, I, I don't know how this really worked because I didn't read the issue before, um, but he, Bruce Wayne has faked his death, mm-hmm. but like, I don't understand how that helps him if Ra's al Ghul <laughs> knows that he's Batman. If Batman's still running around, then like, I don't know what the faking <laughs> of the death does. Right. But, the, but he's teamed up with someone who used to work for Ra's, but he saved his life, so he's indebted to Batman. And so he's like, I'm going to help you go get him. So they go to get him. They find him, and he's dead. They they bring a scientist along with him too. I don't understand what that's all about. <laughs> in case some weird shit happens, the scientist can fix it all. But uh, when they finally get to him, he's dead. And they check the body, and he's he's dead. And Tali is there. She's like, "Yes, he, he's dead." And they they take her away. And as they leave, she hits a little button, and they don't see, but he gets lowered into the the Lazarus pit. And then it, the last... Where he can awake once more. Exactly. And he gets up and he runs out. And that's where the first issue ends. And the second is him running after him. And they see him. They're like, what, what the fuck? You were dead. You know, yeah. We all checked the body. He was definitely dead. And then Tali is explaining. <laughs> as, as they did back then, they had to do that exposition. Like, yeah, right. so now he's going to be ten times as powerful. And like he right. just beats the shit out of everybody. Because he's like... You know, coming out of that Lazarus pit, you're kind of insane mm-hmm. and super strong and stuff. And, yeah, they get in the big fight. And they, the the best is they, they decide to go mano a mano, and they both take their shirts <laughs> off, but Batman's uh, still wearing the his cowl. Ch- and he's got the, Batman's got the hairy chest. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, classic, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he kicks his ass, and he... He goes to take him to justice, and Talia's like, "Are you gonna take me to justice too?" And they have this big kiss, and yeah. he, he lets her go. And takes, well, naturally, he's like, "I'll leave your father," but where the fuck is a scorpion in the middle of that? Like, oh yeah, he did. That's that's what fucked him up. That's During that fight, like a scorpion came up and ace. got Batman in the It's sequel. a oh, it's a snow scorpion, but we don't know where the snow scorpion was. It that's was a snow scorpion. They were in the in desert. The, Fucking a, there was snow, right? Was I? It's sad. No, they this they go all over the place. What's that? Snow, right? That was. This isn't. Or is that a snow? They're in the desert now. 
fucking desert? I told you they, they're jet setting all over the yeah, place. Yeah, you guys it. What did you read, Tyler? Uh, I read Batman, I think it's number 251. It's <gasps> Joker's Five-Way Revenge. No way. Um, you've definitely seen this comic book cover. It's probably been made into a poster more times than mm. most comic book covers. It's It's Joker holding a big playing card that's got Batman on it. Um, drawn by Neil Adams, of course. The artwork in this is gorgeous. Like this is Neil Adams, like prime, like in his bag. Like reading through this, like it's for me the art really held up. Still, I thought the book looked really, really great. Um, the story for the most part isn't anything to like go crazy over other than the fact that what it does is and we already kind of went over it in the uh the history part but it's sort of it's a retcon issue to sort of set the the scales back to where neil adams and denny o'neill wanted it to be because in the 40s when the joker was first introduced he was like a serial killer he was like this creepy and then as we go through and we get Comics Code Authority and Batman 66. Eventually the Joker gets watered down to sort of be this sort of like, he's a fun, like, ha ah, Batman, see if you can solve my my puzzle or whatever. Mm. And it's like, wasn't really a threatening guy. Like, maybe he'll make somebody like, oh, he's got this gas that makes people laugh and they just can't stop laughing until we figure out the antidote or whatever. Like, but there was no like real threat of danger or anything. Um, but Denny O'Neill always liked that original version of the Joker that... sensibly killed people yeah so um i'm not sure what the the gap of time is in here but i do know that when this came out the joker hadn't been in a book in a while and so it was like okay we're going to reintroduce the joker it was going to be a big deal when it came out like the joker's back we put him on the cover holding the playing card and it's like he's going to be fucking killing people and shit and like there's some pretty gnarly stuff in this book especially for back in the day where it's like I feel like even now they they kind of, they're kind of back to the point where they kind of water down a little bit where it's like the Joker will maybe like put people in like a, a coma or whatever. Like in this book, they're like, oh yeah, like he had the get they smile and then they, they die or whatever. It's like he's just killing people. Like there's countless casualties in this book. Straight up murder. And you know, obviously, it's like it's a bunch of clues they leave for because Denny O'Neill loved the the version of Batman that was like the detective stories <laughs> was just the best version of Batman. And it's like all these different clues and Batman finds out where Joker is. They sort of have their quick little brawl and then he gets caught or whatever. But um, the the purpose of this book is just to sort of reintroduce the Joker as a killing machine. And they talk about like how psychotic and how mad he is and whatever. He's not just like a, a kooky guy that likes to play games. Like this guy is legitimately dangerous. And it's sort of going back to a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Killing Joke animated thing where it's like you can't have a book like that without the joker yeah without the joker being who he's supposed to be and not sort of the uh, pg version of him that we had kind of had for the previous 15 to 20 years prior to this book being released so true but when i was looking for stuff to read for denny o'neill it was like i have seen this cover so many goddamn times on t-shirts and on posters and everything else it's like i've never actually read this comic book so i'm just gonna read it and i did it's joker's five-way revenge it's it's cool like i say it's not like anything like crazy but it's 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 important because it's like you got to remember who the joker was before this book and after this book and that's why it matters so that's it all right all right 
Anything else on Diddy O'Neill before we move to Weekly Bigs? No. Diddy O'Neill was my the, out of the four issues I read, three of them were done by Neil. Adams. <laughs> right on. Say that's all I had to talk about. Like two people that were just like perfect. It seemed like for each other that we're just on a perfect creative wavelength that had a yeah match made in heaven just mm. couldn't couldn't be stopped can't be stopped all right we can fix mary yeah oh um zelda <laughs> well I true true it's Zel- <laughs> true zelda but i have been watching a show it's called peaky blinders is it what? good you liking it i'm liking it so far okay. it's so peaky blinders it's got six seasons you guys um it's got what's his name Killian Murphy in it. He's kind of your main character. It's like back in the day, like nineteen nineteen ish. That's this. That's this is the aspect of it that's making me not want. I've heard good things, but I'm like, I don't know if I can yeah. do that. Yeah, because you don't like time pieces. Yeah. So uh, it's nineteen nineteen, and it basically is um, like a gangster. And that's another thing. Don't like the gangsters either. Yeah, so this is, and it's it's based on a, it's based on a true gang that actually existed, um, but they're doing different things with it, obviously, um, which are the Peaky Blinders. It was a gang, and they got into like horse betting and stuff, and like rigging horses uh, so that they would win money, and um, they have these really cool things that they have like razor blades and like their hats. Mm-hmm. So like what they'll do is they'll like take off their hat and they'll like. Uh, hit their hat on somebody's face it'll just cut up As their face do. yeah it's pr- it's pretty cool it's pretty how cool. far are you into it like five episodes oh, nice. they're all an hour long and it's a lot of like it takes a lot of my brain power to watch it mm. really? um just because i also don't like time pieces a lot like that so but i really wanted to watch it because i've heard good things about it and uh, the the accents rub off on me like sometimes I just catch myself like talking like them for some reason because I'm just just how they say things it's like old Irish like lingo so it's really funny yeah, it's there. well that's kind of cool yeah hey, what, what service is it on Netflix Netflix it's yeah. a it's a Netflix original I believe isn't I it? think it started on something else and then oh, okay. Netflix took it over and it is a Netflix original now I think not sure Aaron. I actually have it somewhere. Maybe my battery's going low. <laughs> and it is, it is an old school one. It's called... It's not what I thought. So. Uh, my Kylie got it for me for Christmas. It's called Night of the Living Cats. Okay. It is fucking awesome. What is it? It is a comic book. And it's a manga. It's a manga. Oh, okay. Cool. And I was sitting on the couch today as I was trying to think honestly of what I was going to talk about. And I looked over and Kylie had got me these various comic books. And it is the most, okay, adorable zombie book. Because it is the idea of cats. So a cat You turn into a cat. Yes. Oh, okay. So... And it is this guy, he is, after a while, you read the first trade, and you read, and he is the opposite. He is a kitty that's turned into a man. Oh. And so every time the kitties attack, they turn man into a kitty. And so here's this gentleman, and he's like, and it's adorable. I hate 
he's like, oh my god, I can't take out this, this man. Look at him. He's adorable, this kitty. I can't, his belly. Look at him. He just wants us <laughs> to touch his belly. And every time they're like stuck in a corner, their kitties are like, no one can come through that little hole. And there's like these kitties coming through. And he's like, that's too adorable. I have to get him. But it's like hardcore. I guess if as manga, you know, there's this hardcore kind of feel where you're the power and the, you know, you're killing things. And it's just the way that they go. My God, he just wants me to touch his belly and it's so cute i can't i can't and it's just kitten and it's just sitting in the middle of the road mm-hmm. and it is adorable and it's so it's more so like comedy oh yes okay and uh kylie i i would send pictures as i was reading the book to kylie because he got from me a while ago and i remember looking over as i was reading <coughs> batman tells a demon thinking about what i was going to choose I looked over and I remember taking pictures to Kylie of they're trying to stop the cats from coming into the city. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They put like the plastic bottle things Mm -hmm. to like trigger the warnings and the cats kind of made it through. And they're like, oh, my God, if nothing will stop them, what about this? Tinfoil. Mm. Oh my god, yes, that would have been brilliant. But at that time, it wasn't. It's probably have how many... I've read the first one. There's probably... I think there's only two so far. Oh. It's fairly it's fairly recent. It is. It's dorky and amazing all at the so same time. So Night of the Living Cat? Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. And it's... I don't know. It's kind of... I can't get my phone to work because it's probably dead at this point. But yes, it was... Amazing. Nice. Um, I wasn't expecting Aaron to pick that, so I was going to pick Babylon because we watched that last week and it was Hold. fucking amazing. I'm, I'm, nice. I'm glad you guys like this because... It's fun. It was... I, I liked it and then as I started... After I watched, I sort of started reading some stuff. And it, it seemed to be a very hit and miss movie for mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. That guy likes his... His one shots, like, like pretty early on during when she's walking in and all, mm. I'm like, this is all one continuous shot. This there, is... There's, there's the amazing one it with, is, huh? you know, the movie's been out for a while now, so I'm not going to yeah, worry yeah. about sweating too much. But there, there's the amazing scene towards the end of the movie where Brad Pitt's character goes to commit suicide, and it's one big giant shot of him like leaving a hotel lobby, walking through hallways, going upstairs, passing people, walking into his hotel room, going. And the way that they shoot it where the door closes and opens again. Because he doesn't close it all the way. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just misses. Yeah. It, 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 it's so beautifully done. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot. If you watching that movie, because I do pay attention to that kind of stuff. Right. There's a lot of those shots where it, it, it just keeps going. The movie's crazy because it opens with like a... Like a forty-five minute opening scene before you even get the title oh, yeah. of the movie. It's like just a giant Hollywood orgy. Yeah. It it had a Tarantino feel to it a little very bit. Very much so. Very um, much so. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. But I thought she was gonna pick 
what I what I will pick now is uh, the movie we went and saw last night, the new Guy Ritchie movie called mm. Operation Fortune. Okay, which was very fun. Oh, it was fucking awesome! Um, it's Don't not, get me wrong. It's not. Um, I guess it's like your typical Guy Ritchie, but it's more straightforward. There's not a lot of like, and now we're gonna go back and show you this, and there's not a lot of twists and turns and stuff. It's got. Like Hugh Grant's in it, and Aubrey oh, Plaza, and Jason awesome. Statham, who's in every Guy Ritchie movie. Okay. Um, um, who is uh, who is the actor guy? Like every time someone pop up Hartnett. on screen, I'm like, oh yeah, Josh Hartnett's in it. Um, like everyone was just in this. So movie. why was... Kylie thought it was so? I was gonna pick and this it. Was, this was fun. You guys enjoyed it. Oh, oh yeah. my! Like God. like halfway through, I'm like, I want this to be a, a franchise. I yeah. want more because his name's. Arthur is that the one I, I kind of saw That's playing so... at the theater that I think I had just kind of skinned past. So no, maybe it's it one is. I should. Yeah. No, Kylie, and, and I was yeah. the same until we saw the trailer, and I was like, wait, this is a guy because there's a subtitle to it, and it's like some French thing. So it's like right. Operation Fortune, blah blah blah. Yeah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and Regal does all those foreign movies, so I'm like, oh, I don't know it? what this is. Yeah. And then we saw the trailer. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. this is a Guy Ritchie movie. So I it felt have... very much like a mix between a Mission Impossible and a James Bond. Yeah, that's movie. it. Okay. Right when Kylie fun. said that, you guys should enjoy it ten times more. Because, yes, the comic... Oh, no, the so comic kind of... So that's on me for overlooking it. Yeah, the comic it just, I mean, it just came out this weekend. Right. So, yeah. Oh, it but was so But I mean, I had, so just, I had already kind of written it. Like, okay. yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Because no, like, I, I kind of have my list of like, okay, we still need to see this one. We still need to see that, you know. It was one of those things it where... It's, it's fun. Operation Fortune. We stood up I couldn't and tell you we, what the subtitle is. Yeah, we yeah. walked over and the guy sitting next to us, he was waiting for his wife. And as we got up to walk away, he's like, that was good. Like, the people in the theater talked to each other as we were walking out. And he's like... They're like, did you like it? I'm like, yeah, we liked it a lot. He's like, it was so good. Yeah, don't, talk to, don't talk to me at a movie theater. Like, <laughs> no, it was, it was, was at the end when we were leaving. Yeah, it was just... It was just really nice, but no. Just don't talk to Mary. Just, just yeah, don't, don't talk, talk to, to Mary. Just don't no. talk to me. Oh, Mary. Uh, the only Tip reason though. I didn't pick that is because this you should totally read the comic book. But right. uh, Tyler, Tyler, your pick. Uh, um, I'm gonna pick the Mandalorian. Oh, nice. um, well done, because I didn't. I was awesome. season season three episode one. Um, I I understand the sentiment of maybe it being a little bit underwhelming. No. It, but, but I think in the Giant in the first episode, monster. the first episode of a season, you're doing a lot of setup. You're sort of establishing, like we definitely have his quest, I guess, for this season of kind of what the journey's going to be. It's a lot of establishing stuff. I I, I, I I liked all of the stuff with the other Mandalorians fighting that big. Oh my god, that secret. was awesome! Do you know the little kid was Jimmy Kimmel's son? Was it? Oh, good for him. Um, <laughs> When when that whatever the, I'm I'm sure it has a name but whatever when when that sea monster thing whatever first shows up I told Mary I was like you can see how much fucking Disney spends on this fucking show <laughs> that thing looks so good dude it oh, looks it did, so right? fucking good Just knowing how they film it it everything of the Mandalorian looks amazing it looks it really does like that the CG on that monster mean. looks so good though. It's it's incredible and like, you know, it's cool to see Bo-Katan and oh, yeah. obviously you know you get Mando and Grogu back together. Super super fun to just to have those two doing their thing. Um, yeah, I I I was so excited for Wednesday just knowing that it was back and it was so, so much fun. Yeah, wasn't it? It was like, okay, 
I don't care what. It was... I love Mando having that speed, that Naboo oh ship my God, that he got. Oh, like the starfighter. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's and it's he's incredible. trying to teach him how to the the plane, how important it is, like to learn. I don't, I don't know if I'm happy that they introduced the space whales from yeah. Rebels. When that popped up at the end of Rebels, I'm like, fucking space whales. Space whales. Well, he was just. I thought, <laughs> I thought, but I thought the whole fight scene in the meteor shower was cool. Oh, I enjoyed the shit out of that. Where's this nice. guy going? I don't. Yeah, I, well, I guess I do get it. I don't understand why he's so determined to. To go redeem him, so I'm like, fuck it, like you've taken yeah. your help, just like, and so every time, like when he was talking Cause, to, because they saved him, I guess you know he, he yeah, exactly he still, no, he still it, feels yeah. like they like he owes him, but yeah. they, it's his life, it's like his, it's who he. But is. if they can turn their back on you so quickly and be like, right. well, but again, as a kid, you know, but the way he looks at it is he turned his back on them, that's true, because he yeah. disobeyed. But the every code time someone would say like hey i can give you this plot of land here and you can yeah like yeah do it dude do it yeah just just stay here man. <laughs> but even then was so that first episode i was i had no problems with it. i was so excited i didn't say for, i had a problem Why no i don't look at me like, no i didn't i didn't need this <laughs> no i i just said like underwhelming like i could see how you could find it underwhelming no but, it wasn't for me it wasn't underwhelming at all it was so cute and he was so excited in that little Cockpit but for me, it's own. still the greatest Star Wars thing ever made. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so I I, I'm that. just so excited that it's that it's back. I like that they bring in the little uh, what was it, Babu from mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Life, his little yeah. race. <laughs> They're really good at fixing droids. And he just loved him right when he hugged him. He's like, no, no, it's uh, not a bad, pet. Bad baby. Bad baby. <laughs> bad baby. But, um, I like that years later the internet has sort of caught up and decided that we're all in love with Pedro Pascal now because oh. I'm like we've loved Pedro Pascal for the last three four years no it, it, you got that a... going you got Last of Us still going that's good that's, oh, that's what did it that's what did it that's the catalyst the whole world is the whole world is if thirsty for Pedro Pascal if you haven't seen The Last of Us hint hint I will alright so alright well it is time alright to draw the next name for next month's Don't creator focus episode this bucket's it's still got a bit, but it's compared the All amount right. of life that we've gotten out of this bucket, though, because I did this like six years ago. So he's he is totally. Five, I mean, we hit five years on a podcast in October, yeah. and it wasn't. So I mean, it's at least five. Goodness. years Good go, go. You Kay. got this. We got. <sighs> Dan Abnett. Who's that? <laughs> You guys the writer. are dicks. <laughs> what do you write? Aquaman. Okay. Oh, asses. New 52? No, that was Jeff Johns. No, that was Johns. No. Oh. Yeah. That was That's what all I read. The, what did we get? The Trench? The Trench, the, yeah. The trench, yeah. Dan Abbott's pretty sweet. Hmm. I'm going to have to look up his thing. I, I know the name. Yeah. Like, I'd have to refresh. It, it's going to be one of those things like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so Dan Abbott next month. Uh, next week, next, I, next month, probably a couple months from. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> whatever happens. Next week, I know we had planned. I just don't remember what it was. So let me look at the schedule real quick. Um, does anyone well, remember? No. Uh, uh, Midnight, Midnight Nation. Nation. Yep, Midnight Nation, <laughs> number seven. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not ten. Seven or ten? Would it be seven or would it be eight? It's it, gotta it's, be. It's right around there. Somewhere. No, it's gotta be more, right? No, no it's not ten. It's gotta so, be ten. Midnight right? Nation next week, you guys. 
Love Read some Dan Abnett, you Oh, the reason I was thinking it was 10 was it was March 10th. That's oh. that's why that 10 was stuck in my Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then Shazam. Shazam. So that'll be it. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Mary. I'm Marin. I'm Kylie. Hashtag Fucky Charles. Fuck Comic Skate. We'll see you next week.